Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of the Arizona Wine Monk Podcast. I'm here with the beer captain, um, Gary, who's also the vineyard manager of Passion, but you knew that already by now, at least I hope, if you've been paying attention. We are currently enjoying a quasi-picnic lunch. Well, Gary is enjoying a quasi-picnic lunch, I'm just pouring wine. Um, Here at Granite Creek Vineyards, here in... Fantastic sunny Chino Valley. Well, it's actually partly cloudy, but that's beside the point. Um, we're taking a look at the 2011 Reserve Chardonnay uh, from here. Now, the cool thing about this is that it's apparently a uh, barrel-aged malolactic Chardonnay, which is very rare to find in Arizona. Um, the other important thing to note is that Granite Creek Vineyards is also Arizona's only organic um, certified winery. And they're actually one of the oldest in the state. They started growing actually in the 1970s, though back then it was Concord grapes. Uh, yes, I can hear all of you going boo and hiss in the background. Um, except for one of you. I know who you are. Stephen Clements. Just kidding. Giving you a hard time. Manischewitz uh, lover? No, uh, he, he's fond of Concord wines. Uh, not Manischewitz, though. Um, the other important fact to note is that I love oaky, big Chardonnays. I think I may be the only person in the state who does, but that's fine. More for me. Uh, I'm not overly fond of them myself, but... I need to expand my horizons. So this is 100% Chardonnay, 100% estate fruit. I can smell that butter. Lots of butter. All of the butter. I want to dip a lobster in this. Or crab legs. Crab legs, yeah, I could totally see that. Now that actually raises a very interesting question. I've never heard of lobster paired with Chardonnay. I don't need enough lobster to know what I would pair it with. Nor do I. And that, that would require more money than I think both of us have together in our bank accounts. Yeah. <laughs> but alongside that butter, I'm getting a, a little bit of a sharp citrus note. And then some crisp green apple. So Gary and I are going to actually probably record two podcasts today. Um, one with wine and one with beer. Um, but we'll see how that goes. We'll see. What are you getting on the nose, other than all of the butter? Not as much oak as I was hoping for. Well, I don't the know... oak is very, very subtle. Yeah. I was really hoping for something that was big, one-year-old oak, new oak, maybe even American oak. Get a little crazy. But... American but I'm not getting that, which, I don't know, is a mixed bag. I'm both pleased by that because it's not big and overpowering, but I'm also a little sad about that because I love the big overpowering oak in a Chardonnay. If you're going to do a Chardonnay, don't do a pansy stainless steel Chardonnay. Do a big, oaky, buttery, giant Chardonnay. Do something that's worth drinking. In my opinion, stainless steel Chardonnays are almost always 
lackluster. And they don't shine that way. If you're going to make a stainless steel fermented white wine that's unaged, do a Viognier, do a Malvasia, do a Sauve Blanc or a Pinot Grigio. Don't go with Chardonnay. It just doesn't work that well. Chardonnay is made to be big and bold and oaky and buttery. It's made to be the red masquerading as a white. Which is why I think you should try making um, next year some as an amber wine and age it in New York and be like, New York, wow. I yeah, haven't so even... to fly it out to the East Coast. To make it. Clearly. Yep. I don't even know why I even bought New York and I meant to say New Oak. Potentially. Potentially. Several things are in the works for next year. Yeah. So we will see. We will see, Precious. The palate is more oaky, though, than, uh, than the nose. I mean, it's not as, again, it's not like that oak, new oak that you were hoping for. Um... But it is definitely there. Mm-hmm. There's a nice oak. And then it's it's got that sort of butter for the malactic fermentation. Now, for people who don't know what malactic fermentation is... Malolactic fermentation is also referred to as secondary fermentation because it happens after primary fermentation occurs, which is... Primary is yeast converting sugar into alcohol and carbon dioxide. Secondary fermentation, malolactic fermentation, takes the malic acid that occurs naturally in wine grapes and converts it into lactic acid. Uh, a bacteria does that fermentation. And it creates wines that are a little bit lower in acid, a lot smoother and rounder on the palate. And in the case of white wines, it often leads to a buttery flavor. You don't get many buttery flavors in red wines because red wines are moved around a lot more during their stay in the winery. Whereas white wines, even a barrel-aged Chardonnay is going to be fermented, maybe get racked once or twice, and then go to bottle. It's sitting around in the same place and developing the buttery flavor. But And the same flavor is developed in red wines but moving it around like when you're racking it and racking it transferring it from tank to barrel and barrel to tank and all of that and into the bottle just moving it around and exposing it to oxygen beats that flavor up and it evaporates really quickly so you don't get that flavor in a lot of red wines hmm you know offhand when the movement for starting the malactic Ferment Chardonnay happened offhand, or no I idea either. Um, it is a very French style, so old world. It's been happening for a long time. I don't know all the specifics about it, though. Yeah, I should have looked into that before we started, but I do know it was a very Napa thing to do. But Napa has kind of tried to mimic French styles in a lot of ways. this being one of them. Yeah. Although I think the New Oak thing was a Napa innovation, but I could be wrong. Perhaps. I admittedly tried to avoid 
Napa as often as I can. That's just my own personal. I agree with you, but then I also think you need to be drinking a lot of stuff that you're not making. And in the middle of nowhere, Arizona, Napa is usually the easiest thing to find that is going to be of any sort of decent quality. So That's true. I do drink more of it than I would prefer, but it's good to know that it's not my palate and it's yeah. not quite what I'm trying to do with my wines. It's also got this really nice color to it. Mm -hmm. It's not the piss yellow that you usually get from a Napa Shard. It's much more restrained. It's like a golden, almost sunshine yellow. Straw yellow. Straw yellow, there we go. That's the last straw. Ha ha ha. Part of me wanted to go to the list from Psalm. The wine is white, the wine is clear, the wine is straw yellow in color. No evidence of gas or flocculation, but I really don't know what flocculation is. This wine is cromulent. No evidence of gas or fornication, but I haven't had that much of it yet, so we'll see how the evening goes. <laughs> we, we really should do a, a joke parody podcast like that, actually. Absolutely. That, that would be possibly way, way, way too much fun. Which, of course, means that we need to do it, like, promptly. Absolutely. Also, trying to get a picture of the vineyard reflecting in the glass. It's not working so well. <laughs> oh, that's why, because I'm holding the glass too low. There we go. Anyway, yeah, I actually like this, and, and normally I'm not a huge Chardonnay fan. You guys who have followed me for a long time know that, but this is pretty nice. Uh, I'm not sure about ageability. You could definitely got to store this properly um, because of the low sulfite content. Here, do you want some more? Absolutely. More. It is a 2011 as well, so it's already been aged for a good little while. That's another thing we should bring up right now while we're talking about oh, yeah. aging white wines. Yes. A lot oh. of people say, oh, you age all red wines, you don't age white wines. And that is, can I say bullshit on your podcast? Yes. It's bullshit. You can fucking say whatever the fuck you goddamn want. Fuck, fuck, fuckity, fuck, fuck. Okay. Got <laughs> that out of my system. Let's carry on. Uh, so a lot of people say you shouldn't age white wines, which is bullshit. Some of the best wines I've ever had have been white wines that were aged for five, six, seven, ten plus years. Were you at Corey's birthday party that one year when we had like the 1970-something Gewürztraminer? 1976 Truck and Baron Oschlese. Yeah, yes. that was freaking amazing. That was beautiful. It was like drinking liquid figs. Yeah. White wine aged for uh, about 38 years at that point. Yeah, just about. Beautiful wine. I mean, you can't do that with all whites, obviously. There's... No, they have to be the certain kind. Uh, high sugar whites work really well, and then high acid whites work really, really well. Like Malvasia Bianca. Lovely, floral, aromatic, high acid white wine in Arizona. If you age that for five or six or seven years, it loses a lot of the floral aromatics and gets a lot 
of like honey aromatics and it's just lovely it's heaven well, I know where you're uh well, I'm planning, actually, because I've been gathering Malvasias from Stronghold every year. The oldest one I have is a 2010, I think. Very nice. I have 2010, 2011, 2012, both of the 13s. I'm waiting for the 14 to come out. And then 2016 or something, I'm going to do a vertical Malvasia podcast. That sounds fantastic. I mean, it won't be perfect because there were different winemakers off and on during those years, so it's not the same winemaker. Um... But at least it's going to be f until, I think, this last vintage, 2015. I think that's the last time they did, or are going to be able to do Albiol Malvasia. I'm not sure what the details on that are. Um, I do know that I tasted a 2010 Sandreckner Malvasia a couple of weeks ago. That was Ooh. drinking beautifully right now. Well, you drank that one before, although you don't remember it. Because that was the Malvasia night where I brought the uh, Malvasia Estriana uh, from Slovenia. I do remember that one. That one was interesting. It was like a Viognier more than anything, but it's a different Malvasia grape too, so... Correct. Speaking of which, I do have that Italian Malvasia Bianca from Chicago that we need to crack into soon. Yes. Yes, we must. That, I should... Oh. I should get a... Uh, I a, should... Uh, I should bring, maybe, the Sand Reckoner that I have, and we could podcast that. Drink the two side by side. That would be fun. A very old world Malvasia and a very new world Malvasia. Because yeah. they taste completely different, even though they're the same grape, technically. And then I also do have a dessert Malvasia Bianca from uh, Italy, and a very tiny bottle from 2008. Interesting. And that could be that could be really fun to do, actually. That could. We should bring in some other people on that. Or not. Or not. That's true. More for us. Yeah. There are uh, very few things that I get selfish about, but Malvasia is definitely one of them. No, I hear you on that entirely, which is uh, why I ended up drinking the Fridus on my own. Jerk. It was good. She still has a few more bottles of it, though. I think a case and a half left. Nice. So, And then they just released a 14... Malvasia at the uh, Grand Arizona Wine Festival. Nice. They also did get double gold for their Sangiovese this year. They do not. They do, and I have it, and I bought it, and I'm saving it for us to review. Because I know if there's one thing you like more than Malvasia, it's Sangiovese. And if there's two things, it's Sagrantino and Sangiovese. Did you get to barrel taste San Reckoner Sagrantino perchance? Not yet. Okay. I was going to see. Well, obviously, but. It's not ready for even barrel tasting yet. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was... It's going to be lovely, though. Rob's excited about it. Yeah. Sarah's excited about it. I'm excited about it. I'm excited about it, too. Brad's excited about it. I Everyone's think... excited about Sagrantino in Arizona. Bonnie Lee was even excited about it. Yeah. It's just not the same without her. Right. Let's have a moment of silence for Bonnie Lee. Cross ourselves. Spectacles, testicles, wallet watch. <laughs> oh, you're incorrigible. But this is why we're friends. <laughs> Only 
person in the state who gets my sense of humor. Yeah. You mean your wife doesn't? So what you're saying is you would have been better off marrying me. <laughs> if it weren't for the plumbing issues. So. <laughs> yeah, that, that is kind of a, a, a big deal. I'm going to steal some more blue cheese if that's okay. Go for it. I'm going to wait till we finish recording to finish eating this. I love blue cheese. It is delicious. So, other than the slight bit of oak and the butter on the palate, what else are we getting? I'm getting a very lemony, melony aftertaste. Like, after the finish, even just kind of lingering on the top of my mouth. Yeah. Before I bite into this blue cheese, I should see how long that finish goes, because it's still going. Because you quantitatively analyze things that should be qualitative. Yeah, I know, but it fills in a line. Oh, Sarah from Kansas just texted me. Um, Sarah managed to find um, from Stone Pillar a Ketsley for me um, because they're growing some Georgian bridles out there. And I'm curious because if they do well out there, that just proves my thesis. Well, it doesn't prove my thesis. It demonstrates the plausibility of my thesis that we should be growing some Georgian varietals in Arizona. Because if they can grow it good in Kansas... You can grow it pretty much anywhere. Yeah, uh, which means it'll only be better here. Back to your statement about your thesis. You cannot prove a thesis or a hypothesis. You can only fail to disprove it. This is true. Get it right. I should mention to y'all that I also have a master's degree in this one way too long doing it, so I know all about these fun terms. Yeah, but as a Christian, I guess I'm supposed to be vehemently against, like, theories and shit like that. Although, as, uh... Only if you don't actually know what a theory is. Exactly. But it reminds me of this one time in the chasing room. Uh, oh, there's a Cooper's Hawk flying overhead there. And you can tell that from here. It was a larger, long-bodied, long-tailed bird of prey. Too small for a red tail, too large for a kestrel or a falcon. Not angular enough to be a falcon. Because falcons in the air, they just, like, look streamlined as all hell. It's just like, yeah, you know I can dive-bomb you at, like, 300 miles per hour and not even break a sweat, so whatevs. Uh, acceptors kind of seem a little more nervous to me, anyway. So anyway, this woman comes in, finds out that I'm a Christian and chasing with her friend as a strong chaser, and she's like, so you really believe the world was created 5,000 years ago? And all of this, da 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 and I'm just like, ma'am, I may be a Christian, but I'm not a moron. <laughs> her friend just busted out laughing and said, wow, you just got told. <laughs> and she was quiet for the whole rest of the tasting. <laughs> a pastor friend of mine, one of my only, one of the only pastors that I know that I actually trust my spiritual life to, said something to me the other day. He said, I believe the Christian story, or I love the Christian story, and I believe it to be true. I'm just not sure it all happened. <laughs> uh, uh, that's a good way of putting it, actually, in some ways. Yeah. 
and here's the thing, if you actually look at the text in Genesis, it doesn't explicitly say, like, God said this is going to be how long that's going to take, or how he does it, or anything. So by... Because it's written poetically. Exactly. So if you're looking at it from a poetical standpoint... It's beautiful. It's beautiful. But if you're trying to make that into a science textbook, you're going to have a bad time, I think. It's like taking... Shakespeare's sonnets and trying to make a science textbook on human emotions about them. Well, I think that no one's really having good luck with making any textbook on human emotions, to be fair. Right. Or trying to make a textbook on... I don't know. Psychology from Edgar Allan Poe's poetry. Well, that would be an interesting exercise, though, actually. That would be fun. It's not truthful... To the human condition, per se, but... Hmm. So this was actually Gary's very first visit to Granite Creek. Vineyards. What do you think? first visit to Chino Valley. Really? I thought you've been here, through here before. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, shit, if I wish we had more time, otherwise I'd take it to Del Rio next, but... Next time. Next time. I got a bottle of Kerner for them anyway. Then I bought, so I want to drink that with them. So you'll be here for that, too, hopefully. I say there certainly will be a next time. This is a beautiful spot. Yeah. And it really makes me wonder why the wine industry really didn't get kick-started up here. But instead really got kick-started in Sonoma, because here the climate is pretty good. Mm-hmm. And... This place was growing Concord grapes for export in the 1970s and got certified organic and started doing wine grapes not too long after that. Mm-hmm. They didn't do any commercial vintages until after Sinoida, but were definitely growing earlier. Which makes me wonder if Phil's uh, theory about it is true. Do tell. Um, from what I remember, because I was a pretty drunk at the time, Phil expounded this theory to me is that it was partly a a government act to watch illegal immigration over the border. (laughs) Um, And so these vineyards down there would provide a place for people to, like, see what was going on under the guise of doing wine tastings or something. Interesting. I I don't remember the whole of this theory, and he worded it much better and much more eruditely than I could have, but also remember I was drunk at the time, so... (laughs) I'm lucky I remember that much. It is rather ridiculous, the Border Patrol presence in Sonoma. And they don't really do much of anything. It's like, like, you know, you go in with cases of wine, and they just, like, see the case of wine, and she's like, oh, are you an American citizen? Come on through. Oh, they don't even do that. You pull into the Border Patrol checkpoint on your way out, and you roll down your window, and they look and see that you're white, and say, have a nice day, sir. Yeah. That's about it. I only got question once, and I was working in the vineyard at that time, so I was a good bit more tan than I am now. <laughs> but still, I'm a, I'm a pale guy. I don't think they thought I was a Mexican. Maybe they thought you were Persian. Could be. Well, that would be interesting. Um, what, to smuggle some Persians into Mexico and have them cross the border there? <laughs> no, I, I was thinking of going uh, with a, a Persian friend of mine 
who looks very Persian, big bushy beard, and dating, he's dating Isla at, uh, LDV, and Lawrence Dunham, and just the three of us going in, that would be entertaining to see what would happen. Mm -hmm. Uh, James, who's, uh, Isla's boyfriend, runs a, a, a pizza truck that is Persian, or a, a food truck that's like pizza and Persian-themed cuisine. Ooh. So I really would love to try that at some point. I would as well. I love Persian food, and you can't get any of it anywhere out here. Maybe in Phoenix. I haven't looked, but... Uh, there was a restaurant when I was in Boston that was one of my, like, five places that I actually liked in that hellhole. <laughs> and it was a Persian restaurant. And it was kind of ruined for me after a very bad date. That was just, like, one of the top five worst dates I've ever been on, but... That's neither here nor there. Did you want some more? A last glass? Um, potentially. I'll hold off for a moment, though. Okay. Well, I'll probably fill it a little bit just so that way for photo op later. Mm -hmm. Even though I've already got a bunch of photos already, but, you know, what's more? Because you can do that now. You don't have to worry about developing film. <laughs> Although, uh, here is a beautiful spot for photography, actually. The vines are all dormant and sleeping. The sky is fantastic. Uh, it actually snowed this morning, which was fun. I uh, was worried that I wouldn't make it over the mountain, so I tried to get over the long way and uh, failed um, when my car got a flat tire. Well, that's neither here nor there. That wasn't just a flat tire. That was a blowout. Yeah. Either way, it was not fun, and so I had to call Gary because I couldn't figure out a, how to finish getting off the spare, and B, because clearly my jack is missing a part to actually make it go up, which was awkward. So it's like, oh, even if I had gotten this out, I would have been still screwed. <laughs> and it would be certainly be better than calling AAA for the third time in two weeks. Indeed. Uh, at least I've gotten a use out of them, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I always feel so embarrassed whenever I call them, though. And I got to use my high lift jack, so I'm happy about Yay, that. Yay! Your new toy, that's right. Yeah. Everything went better than expected. <laughs> well, gang, we're going to finish up these glasses in peace. Um, until next time, this is Cody, the Arizona Wine Monk, with Gary, the beer captain. Oh, captain, my captain. If you're daring. If you're daring. And until next time... See you later.